Hey, this is John Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here at Word of Life Church in the nation's capital. I want to personally thank you for taking time out to listen to our podcast today. It's our prayer that you're inspired and that your life is changed for the better while listening. So go ahead, enjoy today's message. Good morning again. Happy Mother's Day. I hope you all are feeling incredibly loved and special today, especially all the moms in the room. We're so glad that you're with us today. And we've got all kinds of things that we've done to try to make you feel as loved and as valued as you as you are. Incredibly wonderful. Um, today, my, my title of my sermon for you is God, My Body, and Me. I'm going to start by reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. It says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Can we pray this morning? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your presence that's in this place. Father, we just (laughs) were so overwhelmed with your goodness and your faithfulness to meet us here. Your presence is so evidently felt. And Father, we worship you this morning. God, our attention is fixed on you. And so we ask you today to speak to us through your word. Lord Jesus, let my words be your words. And Father, we just invite you to transform our thinking, transform our being by your word. We want to go away different. We want to look like you. So we thank you so much for your word today. In Jesus' name, church said? Amen. 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 You know, one of the annoying things and unexpected things I think about being an adult, and I'm definitely well into my adult years at this point, is that when I sit in a chair, my legs still don't touch the ground. And this, I, I, I kid you not, it's like my, my legs, they, they swing free. So I have these little like hamster limbs. And so these legs will never strut a runway They're never going to win any races for speed. My sprinting is very slow. It is what it is. I was actually, uh, I started these new workout classes, these high intensity interval training classes, which just word of the wise, they are intense, let me tell you. But they, they have to do a lot of fixing of my form to make sure I'm doing the exercise properly so I don't hurt myself, et cetera. So this trainer, a couple weeks ago, she's like, all right, you're doing this wrong. Let me help you fix this. Let me help you set up this exercise properly. So it started, and she's like, okay, dumbbells on the ground right in front of you, legs hip-width apart. And then she's like, okay, now you need to bend at the waist, bend at the knees, flat back, shoulders pinned back and down. All right, now grab the dumbbells and pick them up. And she's like, that's perfect. That's how you need to start. I was like, there's one really big problem here is that my... My hands are still like nine inches away from these dumbbells. They're too short for proper form on this workout routine. So this is my life. This is my life, you know? You know, we have, most of us, I think, have this kind of love-hate relationship with our bodies. And it probably leans more towards the hate side most of the time, you know? That's the way it is. And it's not just, it's not just, uh, it's not just me, I think. But this came into... Sharp relief this week, we celebrated, Pastor John and I celebrated our 17th wedding anniversary this last Thursday. Yes. Happy anniversary, babe. Which was wonderful. So I was reviewing photos, old photos, for the social media post to say thank you for being married to me and I love you. And so, you know, I was looking at our wedding photos. Can you put up that photo of me? 
This is an old photo that's, um, all right, here on the right side. <laughs> this is what, yeah, this is, what, this is what I looked like when we got married. This is actually on my wedding day on the right side. And that's us when we were dating on the left side there, right behind me, is George and Thelma Morgan, the parents of Pastor John Morgan, wonderful man and woman of God that they are. Um, but I think back on how I felt about myself in those days, and I was like, hmm, kind of average at best. You know, I was like, uh, I'm okay. Not great. Bad on, not, pretty bad on some days. But now when I look back on those photos and I'm like, oh my gosh, I looked really good 20 years ago. So you ever have that experience where you're like, what was I thinking? I had no idea how good I looked back then. Really, literally no idea. And so this is how we feel about ourselves. It's not just, not just women, it's men too, okay? So let me show you. All right, here's some photos of my husband, my sweet husband, John. This is, okay, do not laugh at him. This is him in the early days. This is his young days, okay? This is, uh, that's actually the one on the right is him with his sister, Kayleen. Uh, but he's probably a teenager at that point. But you can kind of see that real skinny arm there that's there. This is his natural body type. Like if, if he did nothing in this life, this is what he would look like. And so when he looks in the mirror, this is what he sees. I promise you, this is, this is how he sees himself. He's constantly nervous about being like super skinny. And so he started working out, I don't know, 30 years ago, something like that, to start to try to put on some muscle and change his, his body shape. And so he gets into this cycle, and uh, he, he, worked, he started working out with Greg before they got married, probably, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, something like that. And uh, so every year, come about March, somewhere around that time frame, uh, it's, okay, there's a little extra winter fluff that's been added onto things. And so they say, this is it. It's time to lean out. We need to lose fat. We need to cut to get ready for summer so we can wear a t-shirt and feel good about ourselves. So they get into this whole thing. We're going to change our workout routine where they had been lifting really heavy. Now we're going to lift light weights and we're going to do a lot of reps and we're going to do some cardio and do the things that you do to try to just lose fat, right? So he gets about six weeks into this process and then I watch him in the mirror start to look at himself, look at right around here in the shoulders, and his jackets are starting to get a little bit baggier, his t-shirts are starting to get a little looser, and it's just like panic in his eyes. He's like, oh my gosh, I'm getting skinny. This is terrible. And immediately, it's like switch of gears, it's time to, it's time to bulk up, because that's what he sees when he looks in the mirror. Doesn't matter what the truth is, he's still like wearing an extra large, but that's what he sees in the mirror when he sees himself. And so it's like, all right, we got to immediately start lifting heavy, and then he'll start eating everything in sight. Every morning, six eggs for breakfast, it's like poached eggs, boiled eggs, fried eggs, scrambled eggs, egg sunny side up, however you can imagine, raw eggs, whatever it is, eggs, eggs, eggs. And then at lunchtime and at dinner time, he's going to start eating the mother for lunch. And it's like chicken, everything, chicken, poached chicken, rotisserie chicken, broiled chicken, grilled chicken, barbecue chicken, fried chicken, chicken fingers, chicken, chicken fried steak, everything, every possible kind of way you can imagine he's going to eat so much chicken at that time. And I'm telling you, he's like wiping out generations of chicken. It's like he's on this crusade for chicken genocide or something like that, creating this mass extinction event for chickens. 
over how big he is, over his size. So I promise you, this is not just a female problem. And you know, at the end, of course, he swells up instead of slimming down every single year. Every single year, you know, so many of us have a difficult relationship with our bodies, men and women, both of us. You know, our bodies, on one hand, it's like our bodies are the way that we experience the world around us. You know, it takes us where we want to go. It's what we see, what we hear, what we smell, what we taste. It gives us the pleasure and the satiation that we feel. And we actually, we feel our emotions in our physical bodies. It, it gives us a way to experience the world around us, you know? But on the other hand, it's like there's all kinds of parts of our bodies that we try to just cover up, right? You know, as you get older, maybe even when you're younger, there's some lumpy parts, some bumpy parts. Can make sure that's covered. Anything with an exit sign attached to it, it's for sure going to stay covered. It's embarrassing, right? We cover up those parts of our body. I don't know, has anyone else besides me ever like seen a photo of yourself or caught a glimpse of yourself in the mirror and there's like a candid shot that somebody got. They snapped a photo of you when you weren't paying attention and you saw it later. Someone like posted it on Facebook or something. And you're like, who is that? Oh my gosh, that's me. And you're like, that could not possibly be me. And it's, it's, it's bizarre. It's like you're looking at a stranger in the mirror. You know, it's like the real me, I'm convinced is different, right? The, me, the real me is for sure thinner, is taller, has better hair, whatever it is. That is, it feels so different from who we really are. And our culture's trained us to kind of split out our identity from our bodies. And it's like, that's not the real me. What I look like right now is not the real me. The real me is what's in here. The real me is some other version of myself, my authentic self. And so we try to force, I'm, I'm always trying to force my body to look like what I think I am. It's pretty much just like a losing battle in my 40s, right? But we're trying to take power over our bodies. It's a very human problem, and it's not a new problem either. You know, back in the Middle Ages, even in religious societies, you've heard of a flagellation, when the mortification of the body, and they beat their own bodies to try to make them submit to their will. It's like, I'm going to force my will over myself. But you know what? This isn't how God thinks about our bodies. Genesis tells us that God sculpted Adam's body carefully out of the mud, out of the clay, and then he breathed life into this body. And you know what? We are his masterpiece. We are the, the supreme artistry of his creation, both our minds and our bodies, all of us together. Now, you may be thinking about that and saying, Anna, but what about those, those verses? What about 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26 and 27? It says, therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached for others, I will myself not be disqualified for the prize. See, Paul's using this metaphor here in this passage of a boxer to describe using self-discipline. He's not literally talking about beating your own body. 
He's talking about this body here. This means the whole self. It means both your mind is your spirit, your body. It means all of you in this phrase of taking discipline over your body. But what about here in Galatians 5 verse 16, when Paul talked about the battle between flesh and spirit, he said in, so I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under law. Now, this conflict that Paul's talking about here, when he says flesh, this word doesn't literally mean body. In the original Greek word there is the word sarks. And the word sarks literally means meat. It's flesh. It's like the hunk of meat that's on your plate, flesh. Now, whenever the Bible's talking about your whole body, it uses a different Greek word, soma. But what Paul is talking about here is flesh. It's a metaphor for our human nature, for the part of us that wants what we want, that's in direct conflict with what God wants. That's what he's talking about here. He's contrasting our human nature apart from God against God's nature in us. Now, in the early church, in this day and age, there were all kinds of philosophies, all kinds of religion, all kinds of gods that were sort of swirling around culture, Greco-Roman culture at this time. And one of the ideas that had gained a lot of popularity was this philosophy called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is an ancient, it's an ancient philosophy that puts high value on everything spiritual. Everything spiritual, everything intangible is really good, is holy. Everything that's physical, everything that's bodily and tangible is bad, is evil. And it has this duality of this, these two things constantly at war against each other. And Paul was very concerned that this idea was starting to creep into the early church. They were starting to reject their own bodies and think only in terms of spirit. So here's what he said to correct this in Colossians 2 verse 20. He said, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to his rules? These rules are do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with the things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed wisdom worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. You know, I can see some of these patterns in our culture today where we value this, uh, this spiritual person or the inner side and we reject the outside. We reject the body as somehow bad or evil or something like that. But what Paul is saying here is, you know what? If we treat our bodies bad, it doesn't make us any less prone to sin. It doesn't help you in any way because our bodies are not inherently bad. Sometimes we treat it like our mind is a rider on top of this unruly horse that's just bucking. Our, our body is this unruly horse that we're just trying to control and work our way through the world. But that's not how we're created to be. We're created to be one integrated human being, body and mind, spirit, soul, all together, all as one. See, the truth is, and this is my first point this morning, is I am my body and my body is me. I am my body, 
My body's not separate from me. It's not, it's not, it's not different from me. I am my body. You know, God didn't intend for us to reject our physical bodies and only value the spirit, only value the inner work. God values our bodies so much that he takes residence in our physical bodies. Let's come back to this verse we started in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19, 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? God doesn't just dwell in our minds. God literally lives in our bodies. Eugene Peterson paraphrased this in the message. He said the Apostle Paul's words this way. The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. It's not the way it works. He doesn't view us as split beings. He views us as one whole. And when we give our lives to Jesus, he comes and takes residence in our bodies. You know, this is why we can feel his presence. And when I, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I certainly have when I walked into a worship service and all of a sudden it's just like, I am so aware of the presence of God. I can feel this presence of God. I can sense it in my body. My, my heart starts beating differently. You know, sometimes I just tear up. I'm not a teary person, but just like tears start rolling down on my face because my body is experiencing the presence of God, not just my spirit, not just my mind, but my body. You know, my body was designed by God, lovingly and carefully formed within my mother's body. God formed me, shaped with a purpose in mind to house his presence. Psalm 139, we've been in this passage for the last couple of weeks here. But we're going to come back to this verse 13. This is the New Living Translation. It says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. My bodies are incredibly complex systems, aren't they? Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. You know what this means? This means that God didn't accidentally or randomly make me a woman. I'm not accidentally female. God knew that he needed me to be female to do what he had called me to do. Every part of my body was designed for a purpose. So he made my fingers long and dexterous because he knew I was going to have to spend a lot of hours for several years playing the piano or typing for long hours. He made my my brain clear because he knew I'd have to be able to think well, to think sharp. My body was designed for God's purposes. You know, even the parts of our bodies that feel like mistakes, you know, these short legs, God has a purpose for them and he will reveal it to us when we give our bodies to him. When we embrace that part of our body as loved and valued by God, as designed by God, as a valuable part of ourselves, he'll show us purpose. Sometimes I think maybe God knew I was going to be absent-minded and in my head a lot and that I was also, you know, going to be someone who liked to wear high heels a lot of times. So I needed a low center of gravity so that I wasn't falling down all the time. So maybe that's why he gave me the short legs as possible. 
It feels like a mistake, but maybe it's not. My body is me. And you know what? My body has value and it deserves care. And this is my second point. When I care for my body, I honor the presence of the Holy Spirit in me. Let's come back to 1 Corinthians 6 one more time. Verse 19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So when I gave my life to God, I transferred ownership of my body to Jesus, making it a holy space. It doesn't belong to me anymore. My body belongs to God now. Eugene Peterson, again, he paraphrased Paul's questions in the message. He said, didn't you realize that your body is a sacred space, the place of the Holy Spirit? Your body is a sacred place. I want you to think about this a little bit. How do we honor God in our bodies? How do we care for his house, our bodies? How are we treating it? How are we setting up that sacred space where the Holy Spirit lives? This sacred space, as ordinary as it feels to us who live in it all the time. You know, some of us, I don't know if you've been in a a home where there's a lot of neglect, you know, dirt piles up in the corner, stuff accumulates, it's disordered, in disarray, neglected, ignored. Or maybe you've been to somebody's house as sort of the opposite. You go in as a guest, and that person is just so busy. It's like everything is immaculate. Not a speck of dust anywhere. They're working hard, cooking, cleaning, tidying up what they, the, they're cleaning the pot that just got finished being used two seconds ago. They never sit down with you because they're so busy making everything perfect. How do we treat the Holy Spirit? How do we treat the Holy Spirit in this space? Are we so busy making everything just right that we don't pay attention to his presence and how we're hosting his presence in our bodies? You know, I want you to think about this. A spectrum of embodiment. An embodiment, when I say that, it literally just means the extent to which we connect our sense of self with our bodies. How we live through our bodies spectrum of embodiment. So here on one end of this is neglect. When we're neglecting our bodies, we're avoiding it, not looking in the mirror, maybe getting so busy with life. There's all kinds of things that we're not paying attention to, not checking it for maintenance, you know, not getting, not seeing the doctor regularly, maybe not caring for it with bathing and things like we should, just neglecting it, avoiding it, not looking in the mirror. Maybe you've graduated to only pants with elastic waistbands and shoes you can slide your feet into. It's just like, I don't have to think about it. I'm too busy thinking. This is how I can get. Too busy thinking to even get up and move for six hours. That's neglect. Then on the opposite end of the spectrum here is dominance taking aggressive authority over your body, dominating your body, saying, I will control my body. I am in charge. I'm going to dominate it. Now, I want you to think about this too, because when a lot of times when we think about this as a society, when you have neglect on one end and you have this kind of dominance, aggressive dominance on the other, we call that abuse when you're doing that to other bodies. But sometimes we don't think much about how we're treating ourselves and our own bodies in these spaces. 
And there's, I think, some conflicting ways that our society looks at different issues, right? So here is an example of dominating your body would be an eating disorder like anorexia or bulimia when you're you're controlling your weight in that way. Or even when people start cutting their bodies in a harmful way. And our response to this as a society is that we rush in to care. We rush in to heal, to say, no, don't, don't do that harmful thing. Don't reject your body in that way. You're too valuable to treat yourself that way. But then there's other issues that we look at very differently. Think about this. Plastic surgery to alter our appearance, to change something about our body that we don't like the way it looks. And I'm not talking about the kind of plastic surgery that brings healing to things. I'm talking about I need to pull a little fat out of right here, right? Or even I'm going to cut into my body to change my sex organs. How do we respond to that? Usually it falls in one of two categories. Either we go, yes, that's awesome. I'm cheering you on. Change that. Do that. Or we sit in the seat of judgment and say, how dare you? How could you? That's shameful. Instead of thinking about it from a standpoint of don't, don't reject your body in that harmful way, where we rush in to care, where we rush in to cover, where we rush in to bring healing, to bring restoration to that. All right, so we've got these, on one end is, ne- is neglect, on the other end here we've got dominance. What's right here in the middle? This is where we want to live. This is care. How do we care for our own bodies? And these are not rocket science. You guys know these things. We all know these things, but so many times we just don't live them out. You know, it's eating right. is putting the right nutrients into our bodies, the right number of calories, not too many, not too few. Making sure we're exercising well to keep our muscles and our bones and our joints strong. It's making sure we're going to the doctor regularly to get whatever medications or procedures we need to do to keep our bodies healthy. It's the simple things like how we dress and saying, you know, what, I'm going to take care with how I present my body because it's valuable. It's worth me presenting it well. I'm going to groom it to show it respect with bathing it, you know, taking care of my teeth, taking care of my hair, whatever's left of it, making sure we're, 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 we're showing, we're demonstrating that kind of care, get enough sleep. Man, I think a lot of us fall, fall down on that one or even enough rest. That's for sure. How many? I'm not even going to ask you how many people work too hard besides me. We just don't rest enough. That's what care looks like. And you know what? As I care for my body and I value its physical connection to the world, I am making a way for the Holy Spirit to live in this world. I'm making a way for the Holy Spirit to interact with this physical world. I'm embodying the Holy Spirit into the world around me. And here's my third point. When I give my body in loving service to others, I embody Christ. There's something powerful that happens when we use our bodies to love someone, to serve someone else. And even some of the most simple ways we overlook, just grabbing someone's hand and holding their hand in an affectionate, supportive way, or using our mouth and our lungs to say kind words to somebody to show them love in that way, or wrapping someone in a hug, showing them the warmth of affection in that way. Jesus calls us to give our bodies to serve others, to join his work in a very simple way. He said, love your neighbor. 
Love that person who you're with. You know, Jesus says, imitate me in this. And Jesus surrendered his body in the most powerful and loving way to pain, to crucifixion by, his, by the authorities. He did it because he loved us. And he said, give your body because I gave my body. You know what? Jesus wasn't overpowered. And I want you to understand this really clearly. John 19 verse 11 says, Jesus said to Pilate, you would have no power over me if it wasn't given to you from above. Jesus didn't have to do any of this. This wasn't like Jesus lost or Jesus was defeated in that moment or somebody took power over him and he lost power somehow. That's not what happened. Jesus willingly surrendered his body and said, okay, you can take it. You can take me. And the cross wasn't a defeat. It was actually just the first step towards the greatest victory the world has ever known. It was the, the step towards defeating the enemy of humanity, of defeating death itself, that our bodies would someday be resurrected too. You know what? I think one of the, probably the most primal fears of womanhood is that someone would take power over our bodies, that they would take what's not been freely offered that they would force what was not wanted, that they would bring shame and pain over a woman's body. And you know what? God is not okay with that. God never permitted that to happen to women. God has protected women again and again in scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 21, God gives husbands and wives equal power in the bedroom. He said, there's not one that's in charge of the other. Your bodies belong to each other, equal power in the bedroom. In Leviticus 18 and chapter 20, they prohibit incest. They, it prohibits rape. It prohibits the sexual abuse of children. God says, do not take power over people that way. And you know what? In Deuteronomy chapter 22 and 25, the rape prohibition there in that, in that law, in that God law, came with the harshest of penalties. It came with a death penalty. God said, nope, not okay with that. You know why? Because our bodies belong to him. Our bodies are the space where the Holy Spirit lives. Control of my body doesn't belong to a man. It doesn't belong to the government. It does not even belong to me. It belongs to God. First Corinthians chapter six, it said, you are not your own. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. You know, when Jesus went to the cross, when he gave his life, when he gave his blood, he, he purchased back my body, the very body that he created from the very beginning, the body that he designed from the very beginning, the body that he had purposed from the very beginning, and it became his again when I surrendered my life to Jesus. That's who my body belongs to. You know, women's bodies are created in the image of God. Genesis 1:27 says God created male and female in the image of God, both of us. And women's bodies are remarkable because they have the ability to create new life, just like God did. It's an incredible thing that women can do. You know, we literally have the remarkable ability to use our bodies to serve the most vulnerable the most dependent of all, new life growing within us. You know, we have power over these fragile fetuses. We do. But God entrusts them to our care in the most bodily, in the most intimate way. He calls us to serve them with our bodies. 
to make space for them in our bodies. Now, you may be thinking, but Anna, what about when the life of the mother's at risk or there's been a wrong done, there's been incest or there's been rape? What about then? And you know what? These are very difficult decisions that every mother has to take. They're very difficult. But we need to make those, de those decisions understanding and clearly seeing that God created that life, that God designed that life, that God has a plan for that life, that God has value for that life. That's the premise that we need to come to these things with. And you know what? Like so many things in God, he invites us to live into these tensions. He invites us to live into the nuances of these things. Because Jesus invites me to follow his example and give my life to serve somebody, to give my life to serve others. I choose to serve others with my body. You know, in Christ, there's no such thing as body autonomy. We are deeply and tangibly dependent on God, and we are deeply and tangibly interdependent on each other. We're not autonomous. You know, when we came to Christ, he put us together into family. And my body connects me to the people that are around me here in this room through the care that I receive, through the care that I give. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12 uses this metaphor of a body to explain how this works. Each one of us is the physical manifestation of a piece of this body of Christ. We are all just one physical part of a spiritual interconnected single body with Christ as the head. He designed us to together be the physical embodiment of himself on the earth today to do his good purposes. And you know, we can't successfully do this work alone. We can't. There's no opting out of church and fulfilling the purposes of God. You can't do it. We are designed to work together, to fit together. It's interesting to me that psychologists are figuring out, they've discovered that we're more connected than we realize to the bodies around us. We don't think independently. We think in conjunction with each other. We're interconnected. So when we, when we come into a room like this and we start to worship together, your worship inspires my worship and my worship inspires your worship. And when we pray together for things to happen, your faith builds my faith and my faith builds your faith. And together we become far more than just the sum of our parts as individuals. It becomes, in, it, it becomes exponentially more effective than what we can do apart. In this, they call this soft coupling when we come together and bring our physical efforts to each other. You know what? In Leviticus 26, 8, it says five of you will chase a hundred and a hundred of you will chase 10,000 and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. He's talking about that exponential effectiveness that we have when we come together. See, I could go out and help a family all by myself and that would be good. But when we come together as a body and we put together things like the Hope Expo, many exponentially more thousands of people can be impacted by our collective work of how we bring ourselves together, how we partner our bodies together. We are interdependent. We are designed to work together in our purposes. That's my fourth point, my last point. Pastor Russell, you can come. My body is precious, not because it attains a level of physical perfection, but because it houses the presence and the purpose of God. You know, as I give my body in service to others, 
it becomes even more valuable. That's the way this works. When I sacrifice my body for others, it becomes more precious. It becomes more beautiful because that's how I'm reflecting my creator. That's how I'm reflecting my savior is by serving other people. God was a spirit being who wrapped himself in the flesh of a man in a human body. When Jesus was born, we call that incarnation. Jesus experienced all the joys, all the vulnerabilities, all the pain of this embodiment that we do without sinning. But you know what? What's interesting to me, even though Jesus was a perfect man, he didn't look physically perfect. You would think that the God of the universe, if he was going to come down, he'd look like Thor or something, like this super, superman body, like, look at me, right? That's what you would think. That's what we think of. That's what humanity's ideas of God is like, is this paragon of physical perfection. But that's not what the Bible says he was like. He came out looking quite ordinary, even a little bit unattractive. Isaiah 53 verse 2 tells us, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. That's pretty bad. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. That's what the human Jesus' experience was like. Can you imagine that? The God of all eternal creation in glory and power, living in eternity, ever majestic, worshipped by the angels, stars blinking in and out at his words. And here's his human experience. So unattractive that people were like, move a little bit further away. See, he identifies with us when we feel unattractive. The power of embodiment for God wasn't about a human standard of physical perfection or beauty. It was about something very different. But you know what's beautiful about this? It's that when God looks at you, when God looks at me, he doesn't see somebody middle-aged or a little lumpy or a little short-limbed or all the ways that we feel like we don't measure up. He sees his masterpiece. He sees us as the pinnacle, as the apex of his creation, as the most precious thing, the most beautiful thing, the most handsome thing, the most valuable thing that he's ever laid his eyes on. That's the way he looks at us. You know, we need to look at our bodies differently. We need to think about our bodies differently. We need to treat our bodies differently. You know, mothers have given their, their bodies in service to their children, and it permanently changes their bodies. If you're a mom in this place, you sustained life in your body before your child was born. That's amazing. I mean, that child sucked everything out of you. It sucked the calcium out of your bones. 
you literally gave your body in birthing that child. And then you gave it again, nursing a baby, swaddling a baby, caring for a baby, no sleep. You gave your body for your child. And mother's bodies are permanently changed by that experience. Stretch marks, hips are wider, belly's a little softer, saggy parts. Maybe your feet grew and never shrunk again. There's all kinds of ways motherhood changes the bodies of women. But you know what? That experience didn't make your body less valuable. It made it more valuable. You served and loved people with your body, and that is what your body is purposed for. And when you walk out that purpose, you are increasing the value that's on your body. You know what? The body only gets better from here. Romans 3 verse 11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. He's talking about your physical resurrection. That's what's waiting for you at the end of time. Your body will be resurrected. And you know what? That 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 35 to 38 tells us that this body is just a seed. It's just a small picture of the body of what will be. Your glorified body, all those imperfections is going to be all the, all the more greater. I'm kind of hoping that my, my glorified body has longer legs, maybe. Who knows? But it's going to be amazing. Your body is infinitely priceless. I want us to take a few moments before we close today to just reconnect with our bodies a little bit. Say thank you to Jesus for the body he gave us. We're going to do something called a grounding exercise. If you're not familiar with this, I'll just stay in your seat right now. And wherever you are, I want you to just take a moment to notice five things that you see. Just look around you. What are five things that your eyes can see? And then I want you to close your eyes. And then I want you to acknowledge four things that you can touch. What do you feel? It might be the seat underneath you, the ground under your feet, clothes against your skin. What do you feel? What are three things that you can hear right now? Might be my voice. Might be the sound of your own breathing. What are two things that you can smell right now? You smell your wife's perfume? The smell of these new seats? What's one thing that you can taste? Is that coffee left in your mouth a little bit? Would you just take one deep breath in and out? I want you to thank the Lord for that breath. Would you just thank him for the body that he gave you? I want you to invite him to come in and reside in that body. Holy Spirit, fill us again. Fill us with your presence. Fill us with your power. Fill us with your purpose. This is your house. 
Help us care for your house, for the space where you live. Help us steward your presence every day, every moment. We thank you for that.